Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's There's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. Adults, old people, we're going to have fun too, okay? Um... If you have your Bible, it's time to get that ready. You can open that Bible up, or if you've got a phone with the Bible app on it, that almost counts. You can open up that too. Um, We're going to spend some time in the Word, and Pastor Landon's kicking off a new series that is, honestly, it's it's so key, so foundational uh, for us as a church, so it's going to be a good time. Um, Just one thing for your radar, coming up in two weeks, so not next Sunday, but the following Sunday is Social Sunday, and uh, that's very special, but also informal. On Social Sunday, which we do one time a month, uh, we just encourage you uh, to connect with some other people that you've not connected with before and just go out for a meal following church. Um, You can invite them over, you can go out somewhere uh, and and just spend that time. It might be a family that you find yourself sitting next to or bumping into or maybe uh, in line when you're checking kids in. But if you've already started to establish a little bit of a, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Then just take that next step. Two Sundays from now, Social Sunday, we'll remind you of it when it gets closer. Okay? Love you guys. You're in for a treat today. Let's welcome up Pastor Landon and uh, get your notes and Bibles ready. I don't think you'll need any notes. It is good to be with you this morning. I haven't taught now in a couple weeks, thanks to Ron. That's really uh, a nice break and blessing to have him on our, our team now. And I'm a little nervous because the last time I was teaching and I got to the second service, apparently I'm not used to it anymore and I couldn't figure out how to say the word bandana instead of the word banana. So I'm hoping that today will go better. We'll see what actually happens. As Ron mentioned, we are uh, starting a new practice this morning. And for us, uh, we both love and take these practices very seriously. It's kind of sounds odd to use this word practice in church. What are we practicing? Uh, But Jesus, as I mentioned last week, he never told people to know all of the right information about him so that one day you can fly away to heaven. He said, follow me, and here's a good, healthy, wholesome, flourishing way of life for you not only to live, but to be a preview of the coming reign of Jesus by living that way, by walking that way. And so we want to take Jesus seriously for his words and to actually practice his way of life because we also attempt to be honest here and recognize that following Jesus is not always easy. It's not even simple necessarily. And so it's hard work and practice goes better with the team. So uh, as has been mentioned, today is the last day uh, for those signups. The next six weeks, 
will be spent in our practice groups in the midst of uh, this trusting Jesus practice. Uh, Behind and above me, it says, trust Jesus always, no matter the moment. That is why we're here, because there is not one other person in the, the whole world, not your spouse, not a professor, a counselor, child, parent, not even your mother, is trustworthy in every single moment, yet Jesus actually is. And there's some of you uh, in here this morning in the midst of of beautiful moments that you might want to share with someone, and Jesus is trustworthy in those celebrations. And then there's some of you that that maybe are trying to just sneak in because maybe there's, for some reason, right or wrong, maybe it's the enemy, but a, a sense of shame, of hiding, of not belonging, moments you don't want to share with others. And in those moments, Jesus is equally as trustworthy in every moment. And so uh, as a church, we want to actually practice what does it look like to follow him in those moments. We're going to do so uh, by assessing how do we practice trusting Jesus with our time, with our stuff, our space, our finances, our homes, with our sin, our flaws and and failures and and parts of our lives that are damaged and need healing, with our our minds and our hearts. And so today we'll, we'll start with trusting Jesus with our minds. And I want to start with a really just popular common verse that to me never gets old. Proverbs 3 uh, frames for us really this wisdom of what it looks like to trust Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is going to be a theme today. This word all, this word every, with all of your heart, not a part of it, not the spiritual, not the religious, but with everything. And do not rely on your own understanding. Depending on the translation, instead of rely, you could substitute the word lean on or depend. There's this image of somebody walking with a staff that they actually rely on. And there's a moment as you walk with a staff that all of the weight is shifted onto that staff instead of a leg that's maybe injured. And so you're depending on, leaning on, relying on that staff and hoping it holds you up. That's the imagery here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then this word. It's going to relate to mind today, which is our topic. Think about him in all your ways. Again, in case we didn't get it the first time, not in some ways or the spiritual or the religious ways, but in all, in every way, in the everyday stuff of life. And he will guide your path. And just for clarity, this isn't a prosperity gospel thing where now you can get whatever boat you want or whatever else. It just means to the good life, flourishing, health, human the way we were made to be. And so we're going to practice what it looks like to trust Jesus in all of our humanity. Again, we'll start this morning by looking at this topic of our minds. You're told all the time what to think. If you turn the news on and you're that brave, or dumb, one of the two, I don't know which it is. Uh, You are told what to think. You're told what to think about Afghanistan. We talked and prayed about that earlier. You're told what to think about schools being open or shut. You're told what to think about vaccines and vaccine mandates and all kinds of things. I I got an email not too long ago from PUSD, Prescott Unified School District, and I was asked to fill out a survey about uh, sex ed. And in that survey, I was asked my opinion, what I think about sexual preferences, LGBTQ uh, items, sexual identity, gender changes, all these things, and what I thought should or should not be included in the, the sexual education for our public school system. I was asked what? 
I think. What you think matters, but how you think matters much more. And if you, you don't believe me, here's some statistics to kind of prove my point. The marketing consulting industry is a $55 billion industry with uh, 219,000 businesses. This is in 2019, our last like normal-ish year of life. And it employs more than 412,000, almost half a million people who are committed to shaping and forming and molding not just what you think, but how you think. You probably don't think about it often, but on your way here today, as you drove or walked or rode a bike or did whatever you do, uh, I'm sure you faced some form of advertisement. Maybe it was a, a billboard, one of the like three here in Prescott, or on a building, some type of sign, or maybe you're listening to the radio or Spotify or some pad- podcast, and some type of marketing came on. And, and what that marketing is telling you to do is lean on me. Trust me, in this area of your life, maybe it's health or fitness or economics or finance or whatever it might be, they're saying, you can lean on us for this topic. Lean here. Even when you uh, need to go to the restroom, there's somebody telling you that you can lean on them. If you go to an arena or a sporting event and you're a male and you stand at the urinal, almost always there's going to be a little poster that says, you can lean on me in this topic. Or maybe you're at home and you're just sitting on the toilet and you're scrolling through Instagram or something. You're probably going to find an advertisement saying, you can trust us in this area. Like, you can't escape it. Everywhere you go, little seeds are being planted. And granted, most of those seeds probably will die. They're not going to plant in your mind and think and just take off. But there's not just like one or two or 10 or 20. There's hundreds, if not thousands of little seeds planted, shaping how you think with $55 billion backing them and 412,000 employees and 219,000 businesses that deeply care, not just about what you think, but about how you think. One of the ways you could maybe process this is, is to recognize that if you never think about how you think, then your just accepting that someone else is shaping how you think and they're doing it successfully. If you never think and stop to think about how you think, then someone else is doing it for you and they're doing it successfully. We don't get to choose whether or not our minds, how we think, are going to be influenced by outside forces, factors, people, businesses. But you do get to choose who. You get to choose if it's Jesus who we just saying is good, is good, is good, because we forget that quite frequently, who's a name above all other names, who's powerful over death and sin. We get to choose to trust Jesus in every moment, in all moments, or we can just accept, maybe even subconsciously, accept the training that's been paid for, for us on how to think. I think it's a, a choice worth deeply considering because Our neighbors are going to be impacted by how we think. Our spouses, our children, our workplaces, our coworkers. And part of trusting Jesus in every moment is learning what it means to trust him with our minds. I walked into Wells Fargo on Wednesday morning. I think it's the first time I've ever been early for anything in my life. I got there at 8.57 a.m. and it opens at 9. So I had to sit in the little lobby and I'm just like, Uh, walking around looking at things. And on the ATM, you see this crummy little screenshot I took. It says this, the right kind of banking for your right now. 
That's interesting. Wells Fargo knows what the right type of banking is for me, and not only what is the right type of banking, but when. It was like, right now, I should do something. And then I sat there, bored, because I was early for the first time in my life, and eventually it was like a slideshow. So another one came, and it said, make it home. Let's talk about buying a new home so you can focus on your workouts. I'm not even sure what that means, but all of a sudden... I'm supposed to buy a new home. I don't want a new home. I don't need a new home. I love my home. But apparently I'm supposed to think about a new home and that bank is the right bank and that time is the right time. That's not bad. I get their point. It's interesting though. Just one seed at 8.57, which for me is early. Got a lot of day left for more seeds to be planted. Culture, this is a part of our culture. We, we use that word a lot here because it's so influential. We can't talk about trusting Jesus with our minds if we don't acknowledge and accept the reality that the greatest influence in your life and my life is the culture that we're a part of. And, and so this is not going to be a sermon about culture. However, we have to talk about a few things uh, in regards to culture if we're gonna actually talk about trusting Jesus with our mind because otherwise culture is gonna have the, the most significant influence. So four brief things and then we'll move on, but I think these matter. Number one, culture is it's just a value system. It's a way of thinking. It's the difference in a handshake versus bowing and honor and shame culture versus an achievement culture. It's the, the value system, the arts, the, the stuff that just makes our life go, the unspoken rules, and we're all impacted by it. And there's four key things to know. One, culture is a good thing designed by Jesus himself, and we are commanded to participate in it. At the very beginning, if you read the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, there was no need for salvation. There was no discussion of hell or Jesus on a cross or anything. The only thing that was said repeatedly was, it is good. Jesus, the word, spoke it into existence. It was declared that it was good. And then we were commanded to do something. That was to both participate in and cultivate, meaning make better the world around us, culture. To create a system, to name the animals, to grow the plants in the garden, to, to be fruitful and multiply, to make the world even better, to cultivate in the midst of culture. Oftentimes, we've lost sight of that. Uh, maybe you've heard different pastors, churches, whatever, circles in the, the Christian world say, uh, uh, Christianity's losing its voice and its power in the midst of our culture. They're right. However, often the call to gain it back is, hey, we need to go vote and participate in legislation. I don't agree with, or I don't disagree with that. That matters. But we're never going to have a voice until we actually become good culture makers again. That's how Andy Crouch talks about it. Until we start the best hospitals and education systems and do the best business, and we're known as really good neighbors and parents and whatever it else it is that you do, we won't have a voice because we're not producing anything good in culture. So the very first command is go participate in and produce good culture. In that, we reflect our brilliant, good, wise creator well. Number one, culture in and of itself is good. It's part of Jesus' plan. Number two, culture, like every other part of our lives, has been and is distorted by sin. I am blessed with a wonderful marriage to a wonderful woman, and I'm really grateful for my, my marriage to Chelsea. It is good. It's part of God's design. It also is filled with distortion because I'm a selfish person. And so in and of itself, it's good, yet there's also distortion in the midst of it. Culture is the same way. 
good with distortions. We need to be aware of both of those parts. And I guess for the record, I think the mistake we make in the church often is we just neglect culture or we view it as bad. And it isn't. First and foremost, it's good. It's part of Jesus' plan. Number three, living in and influencing culture towards the way of Jesus is not an optional part for Christians. It's like number one on the call of Jesus. It's really tempting at times. Tell me if you've ever heard someone say this or you've had this feeling or thought before to go, man, I just kind of want to move out into the woods or the middle of nowhere and start a farm and just live by myself and do this thing. Maybe with a few select friends or family. Yeah, that sounds nice sometimes. This world's nuts. But that's not an option if you're a follower of Jesus because that first command still matters. Go participate, care for your neighbors, be a a participant that is a compelling alternative that's doing good in the midst of the world so that when the world looks at us, they go, wow, there's actually something good about Christians and the church. They're helpful in the midst of society. Just going away in the middle of the woods is not an option if you're following Jesus, truly. Uh, Fourth and final one, culture is like water. Here's what I mean by that. You and I cannot survive without water. In fact, we were made out of water. Most of you is water. We need to drink it for its nutrients to continue to survive. But it also has the potential to kill us. My my favorite place in the world is a lake, especially Lake Pell. And I love to play, jet ski, whatever in that lake. It's glorious. I do that. I swim in the lake, but I don't drink the water. (laughs) Because if I drink that water, I'm going to get sick and be miserable. Throughout the the course of human history, it's probably pretty easily argued that bad water has been the number one killer of humans. We need it. We can't survive without it. It's good for a lot of things. Yet if there's not a filter to take out the bad bacteria that will harm us and potentially kill us, there's going to be significant issues. And so we need a filter to know how to deal with it. The scriptures paint the same picture for how we address and live in the midst of culture, how we begin to trust Jesus with our minds. Uh, I'll start by reading 1 Peter 5, 8, because there's a plethora, really, of places in the scriptures that articulate this. We'll look at a few. Peter writes, be sober-minded, be on the alert. That's military language of guards on a watchtower looking out for the enemy that they know will come. They're not like, hey, someday will the enemy come? No, it's coming, and they're ready. They're alert, ready to to sound the alarm. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now, let me be very clear. I am not saying that the devil is culture. Culture is good. Let's not forget that. Yet the devil is in the midst of culture. It's distorted, and he wants to distort it all the more. And so we're called to be alert. Colossians uh, chapter 2 paints a similar picture. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing to a church of people in a normal place called Colossae, a group of people like us, and he says this to them in Colossians chapter 2. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments, right? That happens in our headspace. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Have you ever thought about how weird that is? Those three words? Walk in him. What in the world does that mean? I walk in shoes. You don't walk in a person. 
That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Sometimes I think we read the scriptures and you go like, what does that actually mean? Therefore, as you've received Christ, Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Then it continues, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. It means as we're walking in the everyday stuff of life, as we're going in the actual steps you take, whether those steps take you to work, your vocation, whether those steps take you on a date, whether those steps take you to pick up a child or to get your hair cut or fill your gas tank or drive down the street, wherever you're walking, walk with the mind of Christ as your foundation, being rooted, a tree that grows strong with firm roots, founded upon the way, the mind of Christ. With every step you take, how is Jesus calling you to think? Not just what. The Bible doesn't actually provide a what for everything. You can't just like look it up with a smart Bible person and be like, what do I do now? Oh, this. It doesn't work that way. We have to learn how to think in the way of Jesus. Paul continues, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. Quick side note, that can happen just as easily within the church and within Christian culture as outside of it. And maybe many of you have experienced that. When we talk about culture, there's a, there's a Christian culture, there's a church culture, there's a, a restoration church culture. There's both good and bad in it. That's the reality. There's gonna be good and bad in my leadership. And we need to filter all of it and be honest about it and go, what is wholesome and right and in the way of Christ and what isn't and seek his leading in that. There's a lot of places in the scriptures uh, we can look to understand that Jesus takes our minds trusting with all our heart, with all our mind, with all ourselves and every part of life very seriously. We need a filter just like we do with water. Uh, I'm gonna turn now to Colossians chapter three here in just a second. Uh, before that though, as you turn there, we just have to ask the, the simple question, okay, trust Jesus with my mind, cool. How do we do that? And it's, it's fairly simple as often, but it's not easy. Two kind of three steps. Number one, listen to the spirit. It's how we trust Jesus with our mind. Number two, listen to the word of Jesus, the scriptures. And then number three, do it together. There's almost no portion of the scriptures that were written to an individual. If you, if you read the Bible, my guess is you probably do it on your own, and that's good, that's worthwhile. But it's important to remember none of it was written to an individual. It's almost always written to a family or a nation or a tribe or a church. This isn't an individual thing, this following of Jesus. That's why the church is a gathering of his people. So how do we trust Jesus with our minds? Listen to his spirit listen to his word, and do those things together. Listening to his spirit is, is fairly simple, but it is really hard. We've done silence and solitude practices to create space to listen. You can pray. It's not complicated. Holy Spirit, will you give us wisdom? Will you give me understanding? Will you help me to see what you want me to see? Help me to hear what you want me to hear. Help me to feel in my heart what you want me to feel. He'll answer that. But, but really, I kind of have this deeper question because it's simple. Like I said, it's just not easy. It's like a, a relationship. We had another family over for dinner this week, and we've known them for quite a while. We got married at about the same time, so it's been about 10 years, and we we're laughing about different fights and arguments and our, our marriages that have happened. And we were laughing at how 
we grew up in the church and this line was taught to us, don't let the sun go down while being angry. And we're wondering, how many marriages has that line ruined? Because people don't understand it. Like, no, babe, you don't get it. She's like, no, you don't get it. Well, we're not going to go to sleep until we figure it out. Well, what happens? The more tired you are, the less your brain works. You're not thinking. You get more emotional. Like, that just doesn't go well. It's common sense. And it gets harder to listen. How many of you are tired? Are you a good listener when you're tired to anyone? It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We need to create space to listen to the Spirit. Maybe you're like me and you're just too distracted. So really, maybe we just have to be honest. Maybe we just don't value the Holy Spirit enough to stop some things, to listen, to make time, to save energy. Maybe there's some things we need to say no to to say, hey, I actually value my time with the Spirit enough to listen. But if we're honest, do we value him that, that much? I don't know. The Spirit part is simple. It's just not easy. Second way, listening to God's Word together and utilizing His Word as a filter to do two things, okay? Number one, to celebrate what is good in culture. Even if it's not done in the name of Jesus, but it's in alignment with the way of Jesus, then we should celebrate that. Because when we celebrate things that are in alignment with the way of Jesus, we're telling the world, this is a part of his plan. This is good. This thing that you're doing is actually rooted in the way of Jesus. Of all people, Christians have the most to celebrate. So like one hope I have for our church body is that we just throw the greatest parties because we have the most to celebrate. I talk about that periodically. I hope that happens. Because I, I've, I've really yet to meet anyone that actually thinks critique and a tearing down is more influential than a celebration. But we're much quicker to critique and tear than to celebrate. If you want, your takeaway from church today can be throw good parties. <laughs> That's the first one. The second is this. And there's, there's two key words here before we get to the, the verb. Humbly and graciously, those are the two words. Humbly and graciously oppose, is the verb, the parts of our culture that are not in alignment with the way of Jesus. But please, if you, if you don't have, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but if you don't have the, the maturity or health to oppose the parts of our culture that are out of alignment, that are in disalignment, oppositional to the way of Jesus, with humility and gentleness, please don't do it. You're only going to do more harm. Maybe that just means praying and listening for the humility and gentleness to do it. But if we want to have a voice in our culture and make a difference and be influencers, then we need to humbly and graciously oppose the ways of this world that are not in alignment with the way of Jesus. And we need to really work at celebrating the good ones. Even if they're not done by the church or Christians, they're still a part of the way of Jesus and what the future holds. So, we can, we can use a lot of the different parts of the scriptures as uh, a filter to know what do we oppose humbly and graciously and what do we celebrate? What is the good to keep? Uh, just like water, we need the, the minerals and nutrients to survive. And what is the bacteria that we want the filter to catch? You could use Galatians and the fruit of the spirit. You could use Exodus 34 where God reveals his character. That would work. Today, this morning, we're going to use Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, to function as a filter of what to catch so that we don't uh, let it 
form and shape how we think, and then also what to let through and bring in and, and drink of because it is good. Colossians chapter 3. Again, Paul is writing to a group of people in a uh, city called Colossae. It's a church kind of like us. He says this, so if you've been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, that's the topic for today, on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, there's something that can actually distract us and cause us to totally misunderstand what is being said here. So let's talk about what is not being said. Paul is not saying, go out. It's not going to work in a building. Go outside and look up and imagine Jesus somewhere in the sky or floating on a cloud and what he's thinking about and think about those things. Because the things that happen lower here on the earth are bad. That is not what Paul is saying. That doesn't make any sense now. That doesn't make any sense then. You can kind of think about it like a a top shelf. What is best? He's saying, think about the good things. Earth is good, but you need Jesus' way on earth. With your mind, set it. Notice that language, which is interesting too. In in verse two, set your minds on. That means you have some level of influence and control over how your mind is influenced. So set it on the good things, things in line with the way of Jesus. Verse five, After you've done this, he continues, therefore, put to death. That is harsh language. The Bible is filled with harsh language. It doesn't say like, it's okay if you kind of dabble with some things. Just like, don't get too too into it. Don't get in too much trouble. No, it says put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. As I read this list, think about what these things have in common. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. Every one of those things has a center point, and you or I, self, is the center point of those things. I'm greedy for what I want. I am lustful for what I desire, and so I reach out and grasp and pull towards me. That is not in alignment with the way of Jesus whether it's in how I think, my sexuality, how I handle my stuff, whatever it is. Is it centered on self or does it have a different focus? Paul says, put those things to to death. Verse eight, but now you must also put away, we've put to death, now put away, put off all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. This list is for those people that that maybe don't have the capability to raise themselves up. And so instead, their uh, methodology for raising themselves up is to tear others down. So there's slander and gossip and malice and anger. And there's a point of every one of these items on the list, and it is you or I, self. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices Apparently, we're on to something here. We're supposed to practice the way of Jesus and have put on the new self. That takes work. It isn't overnight. It doesn't just happen. This is key. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. This has to do with how we think, with our headspace, with trusting Jesus with our minds. But notice this. You're being renewed with knowledge, minds, but not just on what to think. Here's the how. According to the image of your creator. 
So the, the most fundamental question, and we talk about this a lot, is what is being human the way I was made to be? That's being transformed in knowledge, headspace, my mind, according to the image of my creator. As a husband, what was Jesus' design when he created husbands? Who am I supposed to be? As a father, what is Jesus' design for parents? Who am I supposed to be? As a neighbor, what was Jesus' intent when he created the fact that we'd have neighborhoods? As a coworker in business, whatever it is, what is the intent of the creator? And be transformed in that knowledge with your mind. We continue now in verse 10. Again, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Be like him. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Notice this isn't a, a list having to do with race or even ethnicity. It's a list pertaining to culture. And what's being communicated here in verse 11 is that Jesus transcends all cultures. Another way to put it is that Jesus dives into the midst of all cultures because culture is good and his gospel is what is powerful and needed in the midst of all different and varying cultures. Verse 12, therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved. By the way, maybe you just need to remember that this morning. You are chosen, you are wanted, you are wholly set apart and loved by the almighty creator God. And when you know that, Paul continues, put on, we've put off, we've put to death, now we're putting on heartfelt compassion. What way does that point? In or out? Heartfelt compassion. How does your mind naturally work? Pointing in or out? Thinking about you or others. Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. You know, there's a a common misconception that in church everyone's going to get along. That's really dumb. (laughs) What's to be different about the church is actually that we know how to handle conflict. It's not that we'll have less conflict. We won't. But it's that we can handle it, that we can sit at a table and share a meal and have disagreements and forgive and ask questions and listen and accept. Forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Verse 14 is just a really good summary. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you. I was joking with the first service that when I was uh, praying through and, and thinking about this morning, I must have been hungry because what came to mind was eating a really delicious pasta with a really rich sauce that's lathered all over the pasta. And, and nobody eats pasta plain unless you're kind of weird because it doesn't taste good. Like at a really good restaurant, you need it to be lathered in delicious sauce. I think I just saw some people shaking their heads because they eat it plain. That's weird. (laughs) The gospel's the same. It's the flavor. It's the aroma that makes the meal good, that makes life what it should be. And, And you know what? The person next to you should be a little bit jealous that they ordered the wrong thing. My wife, Chelsea, she's incredible. She has this awful habit. I don't know why. When we're at a restaurant, she panics. The waitress will come, be like, hey, do you guys know what you want? Be like, no. Like five minutes later, do you guys know what you want? No. Third time, I'm like, babe, we probably should order. Like, there's people waiting. She goes, okay, okay, I'll have this. And every time she orders the thing she, like, least wants on the menu. And I'm like, I should just order from now on. (laughs) I like that picture, though, of this 
dwelling richly. It impacts the person next to you. It's what makes, it's everything. That's what the gospel should do. It should impact everything, right? All things, trust Jesus in all moments, all of life, not the spiritual. Wherever you walk, walk in him with the mind of Christ, shaping how you think, not just what you think. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. It's a simple question in the filter. Does this seek the best interests of the person across from me or the person in mine? Let the peace of the Messiah to which you were all called in one body control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you. Then here's one that's interesting. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When's the last time somebody taught or admonished you? Not like Sunday, someone teaching a sermon or something like that, but someone in the church. Has that ever happened? If so, how did you respond? When's the last time that you taught or admonished someone? See, it's interesting. Again, this Bible we read wasn't written to individuals, but there's a practice of trusting Jesus with our minds. And sometimes I need people to tell me, hey, you're not thinking right. Oh, can I hear that? Can we process it? Can we sit at a table and talk about it? Can you handle that? How do we trust Jesus with our minds? One, listen to the spirit. I don't know if you or I value him enough to do so. Two, listen to his word. You can, there's a lot of parts of the scripture you can use as a filter to say, what do we graciously and humbly oppose? And what do we celebrate? Three, do it together. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So don't do it unless you have some wisdom. And singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, hey, just one more time in case we're not clear. Not like, and when you do spiritual things, or when you're in the, the building, the four walls that you call the church, but in whatever you do, in word or in deed, right? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And just one more time, in case we're not clear, not my words, but Paul's, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I want to wrap up our time by just making a few tangible uh, examples that my hope with this is that it'll help you just see where those seeds are planted. Okay, not one or two or three or 10 or 20 or 100, but literally the stats say approaching 1,000 every single day of little seeds planted by 412,000 employees and 219,000 businesses with $55 billion backing them to shape how you think. So these aren't going to necessarily be good or bad things. I just want to help give some examples to open your eyes to, to some of how this works. So while I was in, in Wells Fargo, I was really pleasantly surprised with how much they value and love me. Not only did they want me to have a new home because they're really caring and they're the right bank in the right time now for me, but I didn't take a picture of another sign that said, for your convenience. I'm like, oh, thank you for caring about my convenience. There's an ATM drive through as well. And apparently I'm the center of the Wells Fargo universe at 8.57 a.m. in Prescott, Arizona on Miller Valley. You go, that doesn't really matter. But hey, when it turns from one seed to three to five to 10 to 100 to 1,000, and the messaging is pretty similar. We'll get to that in a second, where I'm the center and my convenience and what's right for me and my home matters. Huh, do you start to subliminally believe that at some point? It's interesting. Uh, as we've mentioned, we're going to be launching our practice groups this week. The first one will launch today and then throughout the rest of the week. And every week, there's a, a tangible practice you will do. And we're going to kind of cheat and skip to the, the first one. 
By the way, if you signed up or you're going to sign up after this, make sure to grab a book after your group leader will have some extras, but you'll need this, so please grab it. Here's four questions you can process through, and the, the practice this week will be to watch two of the commercials from this year's Super Bowl and to just do this exercise. So the four questions are these with, with every commercial, and you can do this with a billboard, a song, a movie, all, all kinds of different things. Jackson, can we pull up those four questions, please? The first one is this. What vision for the world's future does this commercial promote? What is it saying will be good next, will exist? Second is like it, but there will be a little different nuance, some, some differences going from the world to the individual. What vision for your future does this commercial promote? Third, and this might be the most important question, what does this commercial ask you to sacrifice? Every commercial, every advertisement, everything shaping how you think asks you to sacrifice something. What are they asking you to sacrifice? And then lastly, in what ways is this commercial in alignment with the way of Jesus? In what ways, if any, does it oppose the kingdom of Jesus? So we're gonna, we're gonna watch a couple commercials briefly and then we'll close and just do this practice. Here's the first one. This house. I'm pretty sure we can. Pretty sure. With Rocket Mortgage, you can be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. Pretty sure these are parachutes. Mine has a sandwich. That's mine. I'm pretty sure you do not run. I'm pretty sure you can take Batista down. You're on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is trending. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. Let's go with certain. Good choice. When you're buying a home, pretty sure isn't sure enough. When you need to be certain about how much home you can afford, Rocket can. Hi, neighbor. I'll hold the dog. Not again. All right, so these, these four questions briefly. What vision for the world's future does this commercial promote? Well, one where everyone has a house and a mortgage and a loan, right? Uh, it also says family matters, which that's good. That's not bad. Second question, what vision uh, for your future, a little more specific, does this commercial promote? It's not just that you have a house. There's some little details in there. There's a, a really nice stone stepway entry with lush trees and bushes and the lawn with the front yard. There's multiple bedrooms inside of this home. And there's houseplants. There's a lot of throw pillows because those are always important. And art and a really fancy bathtub and a guy in a robe eating strawberries after he's done with his bath because apparently that's the high life. And you go, that's not bad. But subtly it says there's a certain type of lifestyle and home to build. So what does it ask you to sacrifice? You may or may not have caught it. I actually had to watch this a few times to kind of nail it down because it's not in writing at the end, which later we'll see another one that is in writing. The, the tagline, which is going to be the most important thing to kind of really get to the heart of any advertisement, said uh, this. When you need to be certain about how much you can afford, Rocket Mortgage is there. When I need to be certain about how much I can afford. So what is it telling me to sacrifice? Well, what I'm actually being painted a vision for is that I can spend, and they'll help me know right where that point is, 
the max of my limit because my happiness and joy and contentment is going to be found in the limit of the larger, more beautiful house with as many throw pillows as I can stand. That's not necessarily bad, but what does it ask me to sacrifice? Well, it's saying career is really important because in my career, I make money. So maybe I'm sacrificing time with my family or energy. Hey, maybe to listen to the spirit because I'm tired. Maybe we need a dual income household because to afford as much home as I can, when you need to know how much home you can afford, Rocket Mortgage is there. Maybe both parents then have to work. It's not necessarily bad things. How is this in alignment or in disalignment with the way of Jesus? Family's good. Cultivation and neighborhoods, that looked like a beautiful, good neighborhood. That's good. But what is out of alignment is if I'm taught, shaped subtly to stretch my means to the max for the sake of my home and happy life, well, then I don't have space to listen. And I probably don't have gap to invite people over and be present, to give, to be generous. There's going to be a little bit of a contradiction there. Subtle, but it matters. Um, We won't watch this, but you're probably familiar with State Farm commercials. And they're pretty much all the same thing. You get some celebrity or athlete like Chris Paul from the Phoenix Suns. Go Suns. They almost did it. Not quite. Hopefully next year. Every commercial is the same. There'll be a small disaster, a nice little jingle, and then it'll say, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. What does it say? Someone help me out. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This one's actually pretty positive. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. There's a, a vision promoted where your neighbors take care of one another, where you have community, and worst case, an insurance company will be there. The sacrifice isn't significant, maybe just a, a little bit of finances so that you have protection. I don't think it's really in disalignment with the way of Jesus. It's actually kind of good. It's a, it's a good, helpful vision, unless, and there's possibility here, that it's saying, hey, you don't actually have to be a good neighbor because there's companies to do so. A little gray, but potential. We'll, we'll watch one final commercial because I think it's pretty fascinating, and then we'll be done this morning. What if we were wrong this whole time? Wrong in thinking that joy happens only at the end. After the sacrifice, after the commitment, after the win. What if happiness has always been there, fueling the run toward greatness? It's not a distraction, but instead, something more vital. What if joy is the whole game, not just the end game? So ask yourself, are you happy because you win? Or do you win because you're happy? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? This last commercial, this one is a little less subtle. The writing is there at the end. And I don't know about you, but I watched that commercial and I'm like, oh, I'm happy. This is great. Life is good. It promotes a a vision of what? Achievements, winning, trophies, happiness, and joy. I like all of those things. Probably a little bit too much. Um, But in and of themselves, it's not necessarily bad. What's interesting is when we get to that third question, though. What does it ask me to sacrifice? What was the tagline? If it doesn't make you happy, it's not worth it. Huh, that's interesting. 
my marriage is probably over because I don't think I make Chelsea happy in every moment. So pretty soon she probably is going to make the wise decision, uh, according to Michelob here, to uh, say, let's end this thing. It's not really worth it. Now, that might seem ridiculous and subtle. And we talked about this a month or so ago. Not all divorce is bad. That There's reasons and a time and a place, and God provides space for that. But do you think there's maybe a connection to this subtle, subliminal, slow, one seed, two seed, five seed, 100 seed, 1,000 seed, saying it's not worth it if I'm not happy, and divorce rates being higher than they've ever been, broken families being more common than they've ever been? I think maybe. We might not recognize it. We might not think about it. But time after time, day after day, month after month, year after year, the messaging hits. I'm probably done with parenting, too. I love my children, but they don't make me happy in every moment, so I should probably throw in the towel with parenting. It's not worth it if it doesn't make you happy. Subtle, but I think it begins to make a difference when you're faced with a $55 billion industry, 219,000 businesses, and almost half a million employees shaping how you think. So we're left with this choice. Who will you trust? The training that's been paid for, for you to have to know how to think, or are you going to trust Jesus? I'll close with this short passage uh, out of Romans chapter 12 that says this. Therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Other translations say, do not be conformed to the patterns, the the ways of this world, but be transformed. It doesn't say go hide on a farm in the woods. Be in the midst of it, but don't be highly influenced by it. Rather, be an influence in it. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind so that... You may discern, this is ongoing, put on, put off, put to death, put on the new life. What is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come before you humbly. God, and I just ask that you give us, as Restoration Church or those visiting this morning, wisdom to see what you want us to see in the world, to hear what you want us to hear in the world, to feel what you want us to feel. Give us understanding. May you be the most significant influencer of how we think, not just what we think. Give us awareness of self, courage, and wisdom to teach and admonish one another humbly and graciously, to humbly and graciously oppose what's out of alignment with your good and perfect will and way in this world and our culture, and to celebrate well the parts that are. May you lead that endeavor as we seek to practice trusting you with our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Church, um, Jesus himself gave me and you a regular practice to help us with our mindset, and it's called communion. Uh, Communion is a way to remember, which is an act of our minds, to remember the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he called us to take communion Uh, together, and whenever we take it, to remember him. And so this time that we've got in communion is a really special time for us to allow the Lord to minister to us um, at our our mind's level. Obviously, there's more to it than just our mind. 
Um, but we're going to invite you to the third and final time. We just create this space as we wrap up our time today, just for you and him to spend a little time together. But in particular, that he were to remind you about his sacrifice, remind you about his love, remind you about the cost of our sin, remind you of his grace that's made available to you every single moment, uh, knowing that he, he desires to have a relationship with you and walk with you and talk with you in the everyday stuff of life. And so in just a moment, we're going to invite you to come forward. If you've got a relationship with Jesus, this is for you. You grab these elements here. They're up front on this side or this side. You can take them back to your seat and then take the elements, uh, the bread that represents his body, which was broken for you, and the drink that represents his blood that was shed for you. You spend a little time. Come take the elements on your own as we wrap up this time together. All right, let me pray for us and then come when you're ready. So gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us a way to filter, uh, given us a way to put our minds on you in such tangible way. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, walk with us. Your spirit prompt us often about what we're intaking, not just what to think, but how to think. We thank you, Lord, that you are the only reason we've got any hope. You are the only reason we've got any ability to put off our old self, put to death these old things. You're the only reason that we have the ability to put on an others-focused sort of perspective because you modeled it for us by going to the cross. Thank you for this time. Help us just settle for the few minutes we have left help it affect our mind, our body, our soul, and our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.
Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. um, And I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.